Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information, go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. guys, welcome to Grace Life. Good to see you guys, especially if this is your first time here. Good to see you. So uh, uh, yeah, we're kicking off a new series today called Off the Wheel, and uh, definitely inspired by the little hamster there. It's a practical finance series, and we'll go ahead and tell you that. Practical finance series, and I know immediately some of you in your minds went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. We don't want to talk about practical numbers and things like that. We want to talk about spiritual things. I want you to preach to me about you know, forgiveness or the Bible or, or some other issue. I've said it before, I'm going to say it again. Um, Here's the deal. What we do practically shows where we are spiritually. What we do practically reveals where we are spiritually. So talking about our finances and the way that plays out in our life is incredibly spiritual, and we'll prove it to you by the time we're done today. But this whole series, as you can tell, was inspired by the hamster. I'm just going. To, there you go, from the very beginning, the hamster. Here's the, here's the deal. This, this little guy or, or girl, don't really know. Do we, any hamster gender specialist in the room? Okay, we're just going to, go, we're going to call him a guy. All right, so this little guy gets on, on the, the wheel and, and, and does everything that he can, puts forth all this energy and all this effort and moves as fast as he can. And here's the sad part. He doesn't even move. All his circumstances just spin around him. He gets nowhere, and he does this until he is utterly and completely exhausted and then steps off and waits until he has to try again. Never getting anywhere. Come on, anybody financial life, you feel like the hamster over and over and over. You get up, and you're still in debt. You still got the same problem. You're still struggling. So here's how we're going to frame the series. We're going to look at it in time. So for our four parts, we're going to talk about yesterday. We're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about tomorrow, and we're going to talk about eternity. That's how we're going to do this series over the next four parts. It's going to be practical, but practical is incredibly spiritual as well as we do this. So we're going to begin with the idea of yesterday. And when I say we're going to talk about yesterday with finances, what I mean is you wake up every day and you're haunted by your past, right? You wake up and you're still paying for something you've already done, something you've already bought, something you've already eaten. And so on Monday, you're still dealing with Sunday, Saturday, Friday, last year, right? You kind of know the feeling we're haunted by our past. It would be nice if you could wake up and just deal with today, but it doesn't always work like that, at least not for most of us. So since my wife isn't here, I'm going to start by telling on her. I'm just kidding. I did this in the last service and she was here anyway. I'm going to start by, by, with us. How about that? My wife, if you're not familiar with this, is Romanian. And uh, even if you know that fact, you might not be more familiar with, with history. Uh, they were a communist nation until the fall of communism all across Eastern Europe in 1989. That meant up until her teenage years, she had stood in bread lines. She lived under the worst communist dictator since Hitler. That was, it was a horrible situation. There was nothing. The country had nothing. If you went to a store, there was nothing there, but it wouldn't matter because if there was something there, you couldn't buy it anyway because you had nothing. That was her life, standing in line for food, never expecting there to be anything. And then I come along, and my father was a blue-collar worker who had three jobs. Most of the time that I can remember, he was not there. He had three jobs. He had a day job, like most people, and he would work overtime sometimes. And he would go from his day job to his night job. He'd work a night job that was part-time. 
And then he worked a weekend job as well. I, I almost never saw him. I had to go to church with him because he'd even work on Sunday afternoons. It was the only time because there wasn't enough. And he couldn't pay the bills. And it was just always work hard and try to pay and there will never be enough. And so my wife and I get married and we bring these two perspectives together. There will not be enough. There will never be enough. It wouldn't matter if you tried to save. You don't make enough to save enough to ever get anywhere. Now, her country doesn't deal with debt nearly as much as ours does. So there was one thing I brought to the table that didn't help. And that was the idea of, well, you can just borrow. And that was my family, again, because my dad worked so many jobs. He was doing good to pay for yesterday. The idea of putting up enough for, for tomorrow was, was never an idea. And so I grew up thinking the only way we would ever get ahead is if we borrowed and something happened tomorrow we couldn't see. You know, like when the lottery, right? I mean, come on, we got any lottery tickets? No, I'm just kidding. Don't raise your hands for that. But, but we think that something is going to fall from the sky that is going to change our lives in the future. So right now, we're just going to keep borrowing and keep trying to get ahead. So here we go. A little bit of crowd participation. Pull out your phones, pull up the Grace Life app, and tap on off the wheel. What we're going to do every Sunday for the next four weeks as we're doing the series is you're going to join in. Crowd participation. And we're going to see where we are. So we've got three questions that I'm going to ask you today. Good news. They're all yes, no questions. Very easy. Here's what they're going to be. The first one is going to be this. Do you have any of the following? Any. You have to say yes if you even have one. Do you have any of the following? A car payment. A credit card payment, a medical bill, or a personal loan, or a school loan of any sort, yes or no. Number two, do you wish you could have said no? Do you wish you could have said no? Question number three, are you on an intentional path to change that? Do you have a plan? Are you working the plan? Do you see a light at the end of the tunnel? Here you go. I'm going to give you 30 seconds. Answer your three questions. I'll do a little dance for those who already did it just kidding i can't really dance all right there you go for those of you that couldn't quite get everything working because you have to download the app and it updates and does all that if you just tried to join in you're a little behind but you can get ready for next week i'll go ahead and give you that let's see where we are how many of us have some of these bills, which means we're in debt, 84% of us. And notice that we didn't ask about a mortgage, because I know some people like to debate that. You know, hey, a mortgage is an investment, so I'm not really in debt. Okay, okay, I'm not even going to go there today. But 84% of us owe bills for yesterday. 84% of us are haunted by our past, and we're not even talking about our house, right? And so here we go. Question number two. Now, this is going to be the telltale right here. How many of us wish we could have checked no? Well, uh, there we go, about the same. 85% of us wish we could have checked no. 15% of us are okay with the fact that we have some of those bills or where we are, or maybe you're some of the people who said no in the first place. So here's what matters to us. The overwhelming majority of us, right? 85% of us are haunted by yesterday and wish we were not. That's what we're going to talk about today. Here's the good news. You aren't the first one to do this. So, you know, don't feel like, oh man, how did I do this? I am horrible. No, no, no. This has been going on forever since biblical times. You know how people say it's a storm of biblical proportions, right? 
Okay, well, debt is a biblical proportion kind of thing. It's been happening forever. Turns out you're not the first of God's people to get behind and to be haunted by yesterday. So I'm going to show you a story where actually they're probably worse off than most of us. Just to be honest, it'll make you feel a little bit better about where you are. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Nehemiah way back in the Old Testament. Because we're going to go back way back in time. Discover this is not new. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, it's going to be on the screen right behind my head. So we're going to start the very beginning of chapter 5. And here we go. It says, Now the men and their wives raised a great outcry against their fellow Jews. What was the problem? What did they say? They said, We and our sons and daughters are numerous. And in order for us to eat and stay alive, we must get grain. All right, let me explain what's going on. There are big families that don't have enough food. And they're saying, because we're a big family, we need more. And we've got to figure out a way for us to get enough food because we had too many kids. It's easy to be you. I mean, I know what that's like. I've got a family of six. And I watch these families of three go out to eat like every week. And our family of six goes like once a month. Anybody knows what I'm talking about, right? And I see these families of three. They only had one kid. And then that kid's an angel. And you just don't like those people anyway. Because I've got, the kid, seriously, I looked out the window yesterday. And my nine-year-old son and my seven-year-old daughter, my nine-year-old son had got all the knives out of the kitchen drawer and a pizza box and was teaching my seven-year-old daughter to be like a ninja and throw knives and hit the pizza box, right? Okay? So those people that have the one angel child, I don't like them. I'm the one that's like trying to make sure their kids don't kill each other, you know? Knives across the yard. All right. So, so they've only got one kid, and they go to the movies, and it's easy. You try taking six people to the movies, and they all want popcorn. It's like, well, we could have bought a new car, but we went to see Dora instead. All right, anyway, you get the idea. It's, here's the point. It is so easy for every one of us to do what they're doing, which is to say, my situation is worse than yours, and that's why I'm in this problem. They're claiming it's because they're a big family. For you, maybe it's because you, you, you went to med school, and that was a lot more debt than the, the person who got the two-year degree. And you're like, oh, my situation is worse. I, therefore, have to go into debt. Or maybe your situation is someone in your family is always sick, and so there's always medical bills. And whatever it is, we've all got a reason to say, it's easier for you to be out of debt than it is for me. It's easy. You don't understand what I'm going through over here, right? So we all resonate with them. It gets worse. Another group comes along and they say, we are mortgaging our fields and our vineyards and our homes to get grain during the famine. Now, we need to get some understanding culturally here of what's going on because most of us say, that's ah, not a big deal. They just borrowed a little bit of money because we mortgage our houses. It means we've borrowed money and we live in it. But this actually is different. When they say they've mortgaged their fields and their vineyards, it's a little more like this. Anybody play this game? Monopoly, for those of you in the back row that need to go see the eye doctor, okay? Monopoly. This is the card for Boardwalk. Now, how many like to play Monopoly? How many? There we go. Okay. And, and see, so here's the thing. It's a very old game. We grew up playing it. Our parents knew it. Our bigger siblings knew it. So most of us, we play by the rules someone else told us because we don't read the rule book. Raise your hand if you've actually read the Monopoly rule book. Okay. We're going to do a, an OCD series... <laughs> People who need to be delivered of those kind of problems, we're going we're gonna to talk to you later. But here's the thing. Most of you do not know the way this actually works. You see, on the front is something called rent. That means if, if somebody lands on your boardwalk spot, they're going to give you $50. What you may not know is that you can actually borrow money 
off of owning Boardwalk. You can turn the card face down while you're playing the game. The bank will give you $200. That's kind of cool, right? It's called mortgaging. But here's what you may not know if you've never read the rule book and you're playing by house rules. This is like what they faced. While it's mortgaged, you've lost the use of it. You see, while this is face down on the game table, nobody has to pay you 50 bucks when they land there. Sorry to blow up somebody's house rules. They don't owe you money. See, they lost the use of their fields, and they lost the use of their vineyards. Now follow this, because some of us know what it's like to feel hopeless. So you don't have enough grain, so you give your field to somebody else to come and grow some, and you give your vineyards to somebody else to come and grow some, but now at harvest time, you don't have anything to sell to make money to get your field or your vineyard back. Because you just got enough in your mortgage, your usage fee, just enough to even feed your big family we were just talking about, right? And so at the end of the, the harvest, when you need to be getting money to get out of the situation, you have nothing to take to sell. Some of, the reasons, some of us don't like Monopoly because, well, honestly, it's a little too much like real life, isn't it? Some other person always wins and you're always broke in about an hour. It's like, well, I don't like this. But here's the reality. If you've ever played Monopoly, once someone starts turning the cards face down, do they ever come back and win? Not usually. It would take some really crazy, lucky rolls of the dice. And we're in the same situation when we start getting further and further behind. And, and we say, well, already I mortgaged my house. And then I, I took my car to the, uh, the bank and they gave me a personal loan based on my car. And now I'm going down to the payday loan people and they're going to give me a loan until Friday. And it gets to a point where you just don't have any hope it's ever going to change. That's where they are. Because they no longer have the ability to produce anything positive. Then it gets even worse for another group. Still others were saying, we have had to borrow money to pay the king's tax on our fields and our vineyards. Let me pause there and bring you up to where we are in history. We did a series a couple years ago on a guy named Daniel. And so if you remember anything about Daniel or if you've ever read the book, there was a point in history where God's people were captured by a guy named King Nebuchadnezzar. You learned about him in middle school, most likely, and the Babylonians. And they were carried off and most of them were taken there. This is the point in history where now the Babylonians have been overtaken by the Persians. And the Persian king actually lets them go back home. So many of them have started to go back home. They started to rebuild their lives. They started to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem. The Persian king says, okay, I'll let you go, but that ain't for free. You're going to give me a tax on everything you have and everything you own. So now we've got a third group of people. They still have their fields, they still have their vineyards, but now suddenly they've got to pay a tax and they don't have the money for the tax. And they don't want to lose their field and their vineyard like the other people, so they're taking the next step and that is to borrow money and the only way they can pay that loan back, check out the next sentence. Although we are of the same flesh and blood as our fellow Jews, it means they're not borrowing from the Persians, they're borrowing from their cousins, their brothers and their sisters. Although we are the same flesh and blood, and though our children are as good as theirs, yet we have to subject our sons and daughters to slavery. You see, here's how they paid that loan back. If you give me the money that I need to pay my taxes, my son will work for you for three months. Wouldn't it be horrible to know your salary was paid to you before your first day at work? 
and you owed your corporation three months or three years of work and you're never going to get a paycheck again, you're going to do that just to get caught up with the yesterday that still haunts you? That's where they were. And so I know when we read the word slavery, the first thing that comes to our mind as Americans is the American slave trade. It's not like that. This was more of an indentured servitude. It means that your children are going to go and work for the one that gave you the loan until that is paid back. And it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years. And it gets still worse. Read the next sentence. Some of our daughters have already been enslaved, but we are powerless because our fields and our vineyards belong to others. Wait a minute. You just told us your sons and daughters are going into slavery. What do you mean some of them already are? Because it actually can get worse. Not only do some of your sons and daughters have to go and work for the person that you have a loan with, if it gets bad enough, you actually have to give your daughters in marriage to the one that you're in debt to. Wow. So, look, we've got problems, but chances are it's not that bad, right? But we do need to learn something from this because here's a truth we can't get away from. Our finances affect more than just me and you. They affect all of the people around us. Our finances will affect the next generation. They will affect our children. They will limit our children's opportunities. We need to be thinking about our finances because it goes far beyond this. Now, don't miss this one point of the story, by the way. Not everybody was in debt. Did you notice that? They weren't borrowing from the Persians, as we said. They're borrowing from the people down the street. What that meant was even in the midst of a famine, even after having been conquered by a foreign nation and trying to rebuild from nothing, somebody had something. Somebody had the ability to give loans. Here's what you need to know. Because of sin and because of greed, and by the way, I don't have time to tell you all that God says about how to loan money to your brothers and sisters, but they were, they were sinning. They were sinning by what they were doing because they were greedy. But because of sin and because of greed, there will always be someone ready to take advantage of your misfortune. There will always be a payday loan company or a bank or a credit card or someone who says, oh, I'm sorry, are you having a big day? Bad day? My big day? Let me help. Let me help you. I can give you this. Don't worry about the interest. Let me help you. They're not out to help you. They're out to help themselves. There's always someone who's going to be ready. Now, the challenge for you and me and why we're talking about this today is because it is our job not to be at their mercy. It is our job not to get into the situation that someone who is filled with sin and greed can rule over us. And you may ask, well, let's, let's, let's answer the question. Let's ask the question. Let's answer the question. How did they get here? How do you and I get here? 85% of us have bills that are from yesterday and Fortunately, 85% of us say that we would like to change that. How do we get here? There's really only two ways we get here. Uh, you're not going to like when I say one of them, so I'll do the one you're going to at least agree with first. And that is that we're unprepared for the unexpected. But that's human. We all make those kind of mistakes, right? We're unprepared for the unexpected. Sorry to burst your bubble. There's no such thing. Here, here let me prove it to you. Raise your hand if you have an appliance that you think will never break in your entire lifetime. Okay, how about this one? Raise your hand if you have a car that you never expect to have a repair, need tires, or come with a tax bill. Okay, so I think we've figured it out. There's no such thing as the unexpected. You expect your appliances to die. You expect your mattress to wear out. You expect your shoes to get a hole in it. 
You expect a tax bill to come due. You guys know what I'm talking about? There's no such thing. We can no longer justify ourselves as saying, oh man, I tell you what, I'm having a really bad week because I was just a little unprepared for the unexpected. And your, your friend says, yeah, I know, man, I do it too. No, no, both of you are lying to yourselves. There's no such thing as unprepared for the unexpected. Now, here's the truth. We're not fortune tellers. So we can't predict which day you will run a red light and need to pay the deductible. We cannot pick predict which day the police officer is finally going to catch you going too fast. We cannot predict which day which appliance will break. So maybe it's not all predictable, but there's no such thing as unexpected. We need to be prepared for the expected, right? And so then when it shows up, you're ready for it. The second thing, and again, I'm going to be nice by uh, not talking to you. I'm just going to talk to the person beside you. The person beside you could be immature, or impatient. See, it's what we do as kids. I want it. I want it now. My kids get money, and you know the first, if they get a birthday card from grandma and it's got $5 in it, they turn to me and say, Daddy, will you take me to the store? I'm serious. They don't even want to wait till next time we go to the store, can I buy? No, it's Daddy, will you take me to the store? Daddy, can you take me to Target? Daddy, will you take me to Target right now? I mean, they just want to spend it. They just want to get something. And I say, what are you going to buy? You know what their answer is? I don't know. All they know is they want to spend, they want to get, they want stuff. It's called immature. And the problem is we get older and we don't get rid of that problem, right? I mean, we don't even need to raise hands for this one. We go to the store and come home with more that we didn't think we were going to get. You, didn't, you went for one shirt and you came home with $400 worth of clothes, you know? You, you went for milk, and I'm the worst at this. My wife sends me for milk because, you know, my wife is in charge of the grocery part of this. It's only when she sends me for something that potato chips can make their way into our house. Come on, anybody knows what I'm talking about? You send me for milk? Oh, boy, we're getting something else too. Potato chips all the way. They don't last long because of our whole family. We're immature and we're impatient. I'm going to get it even though God hasn't given me the finances for it yet. I'm impatient. Now, here's the thing. Again, some of you are saying, ah, oh, come on, can you talk to me about something spiritual? This is funny, this is humorous, this is financial. I, I need you to be spiritual. Okay, let me make it spiritual for you. If we want it now, and we get it now, even though we can't pay for it now, it means that materialism has a greater grip on our soul than contentment with God. Is that spiritual enough for you? I just made some of you mad, I'm sorry. I'm not really sorry. Don't be mad at me. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. Let me say it again. If we want it now, and we get it now, even though we can't pay for it now, it means that materialism has a greater grip on our soul than contentment with God. What it means is I look around the world and I say, God, that's a nice truck. It's a nice car. That would be a great vacation. That would... That, oh, that shirt's nicer than the one I preached in last Sunday. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, whatever it is, God, I want things in this world more than I want to use your wisdom or to follow your ways or to be satisfied in my soul with what you've given me. And that's the truth. And the day we own up to that, the day this will finally change. Because until we own up to that, we're just okay with getting a little bit of a pay advance thanks to Visa or Toyota loans or whatever the story is. We're, we're kind of okay with it until we do make it spiritual. I want to encourage you, make it spiritual. 
because there is a, a big deal if material things have a greater pull on us than contentment with what God has given us. So I'm going to be honest. I've had people sit in my office and talk at this point, and, and their answer to me is, leave me alone. Leave me alone. It's my life. They are my bills, and I'm okay with it. And so what it comes down to is some of us are okay with our personal misery. Does that make sense? Some of us are okay with the fact that we're still paying for yesterday. Maybe it's because you've kind of got it under control as long as nothing else unexpected shows up, right? You know what I'm talking about? And, and so here's the question. Why does this matter outside of your personal misery? What should I say to the person who says, it's my bills, it's my life, leave me alone? I'm going to say two things. I'm going to push back for two things. There's two reasons this matters outside of your personal misery. Even if you say, I'm good with it, just leave me alone. Number one is this. It is not, and it never has been, God's intent for his people. It is not, and it never has been, God's intent for his people to do without and to be behind. It is not. If you look all throughout Scripture, drought and famine is always a way of getting people's attention and correction and bringing them back to God. It was never a part of blessing. God never put a drought and a famine and lack in the life of his people and said, that's my blessing. Never. Never. It is not God's intent. Matter of fact, if you've ever done a one-year Bible reading plan the first time you do it, you might come across something in the Bible and go, Am, am I confused? I thought I read that last week. Did I mess up in my Bible reading? Did I get out of order or something? Anybody knows what I'm talking about? Because sometimes there are things that God means it so passionately and it's so important, it shows up over and over and over in Scripture. I'm going to read one of those to you right now. And it shows up many times. I could have read many different examples, almost the exact same wording. Here's how it goes. For the Lord your God will bless you as he promised you. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And you shall rule over many nations, but they shall not rule over you. What does ruling over and being ruled over have to do with borrowing and lending? What do those two have to do with each other? Proverbs 22, 7, that answers this. The borrower is slave to the lender. The borrower is slave to the lender. And you may say, I'm not a slave. Really? How many of you can stay home tomorrow? How about Tuesday too? How many of you can just say, man, I'm taking the week off. And I'm just going to really make sure you understand what I'm saying. How many of you, if you don't have paid vacation days, can just say, I don't want to work this week, so I'm not going to? It doesn't work that way, does it? And especially those of you that are hourly. You don't get the paid vacation days. You're going to work tomorrow, even if you have the flu. That's why the flu epidemic is so bad. Got nothing to do with the flu. Everybody's in debt. They got to go to work with 102. And then the next thing you know, everybody who shopped in the store has got the flu too. That's just for fun. Come on, y'all. God never intended for his people to have lack. God intended for his people to have blessing. But the one that I like the best, number two, when you say, why does this matter outside of my personal misery? Because something happens inside your personal misery that offends me. It offends a lot of people. It offends God. And it offended me and myself when I finally saw it. And here's what happens. When we're in debt and when we're doing without, we begin to question and even challenge the goodness of God. You ever been broke because you just paid all your bills for yesterday and then you go, come on, God, what's the problem? Why aren't you blessing me? Why do I have to do without? Why does it have to be like this? God, why do we always have to go through a drive-thru for a happy meal? When am I going to get a steak? Seriously, come on, God, why aren't you good to me? <laughs> Anybody with me? Except 
you got paid today. But you can't feel the goodness of God because it all went to yesterday. It causes us to begin to say, God, you're not good, you're not good, you're not good, you're not blessing me. And God began to speak to me about this. When, when God was actually giving me surprise chunks of money, and, and I was just putting them towards bills, and I'm going, come on, God, where's your goodness? And I'm thinking, wait a minute. What about the $1,000 gift that came out of the blue or the $2,000 tax refund I didn't know I'd get or this or that over the years, all these surprise things, if they actually had not gone to debt? I mean, you, you know, you just you get extra money if you were actually to think about this. It comes. And what if we could have just said, what do you want to do with that? We would have been, God, you are good. Instead, we pay about 10% of a bill from yesteryear probably. And we don't feel like God was good at all. You see, we cause, it causes us to say that God is not good. All right, so what do we do about this? What do we do if we're in that 85% that said, I wish that I could say, no, I wish I could have said I didn't have any of those bills? I'm going to give you two steps. Very, very simple. You need both. You can't do just one. First one is this, make a decision. You got to make a decision. You've actually got to be resolved to do life differently. You see, we live in a culture that makes debt normal. Hello? I mean, 85% of us, we're in the majority. It's normal to have a bill from yesterday. We live in a culture that makes it normal and makes it easy, right? You turn 18, what comes in the mail? A, a thing for your first free credit card, right? There you go. My son's off to college this year, and he gets all kinds of those. And I stack up his mail while he's gone, except for those. I put them in the trash. <laughs> I'm not going to help him get in debt. He's not going to know about that. No, we're not going there. You have to make a decision. My wife and I, uh, when we were first married, uh, we had a couple that was a little bit older than us in our lives. Uh, so they were in their late 30s, maybe early 40s, not exactly sure. But he was completely out of debt. He, he, he owned his house. He owned his cars. He owned his business. He owned his, his camper that they went camping in for vacation. They owned everything. They had money in the bank. They were completely debt-free. And, and God put them in our lives to inspire us. And, and they would spend a lot of time with us and say, Jimmy, it, it would be great if you were out of debt. And we would go on a little vacation trip with them. And we both liked whitewater rafting. He owned his own boat. I had to ride in his boat. He owned his boat, right, y'all you know? And, and, and he would say, oh, this is awesome. I, I mean, I'm just paying cash. As I do, I, I'm going to go home Monday and not worry about this. And I was swiping visa and not saying a word about the fact that I knew when I got home from this trip, I was still going to be paying for this trip, right? And, and he said to me, like, look, I work four days a week because I want to. Now, I want to work five. I don't have to work five. Matter of fact, if I don't want to work this week, I don't have to work this week. He could actually say that. And it was so inspiring but my wife and I still didn't make a decision. Isn't that crazy? We were around them. Some of you know what I'm talking about. You know these stories. You've heard these stories. You've heard messages like this before, but you've yet to make a decision. You've yet to be resolved to do something different. And you want to look at a friend like that, as I tried to do at the time, and go, oh, man, that's just because you make this, or that's just because you have that, or whatever. Well, the truth is, he had been devastated financially. He had lost his job Spent over three years unemployed. He had owned a condo on a fault line and an earthquake destroyed it and the insurance didn't cover it. So he still owed for that a house that he couldn't even live in or sell. He had lost everything. And I mean everything. And maybe we just have to get far enough down to finally make a decision to stand back up. 
And some of us, maybe we just haven't hit that point. You know, I, I like to think I'm actually an intelligent person, but I've realized every time I stand up here and preach, I always tell you stories of my stupidities. <laughs> I'm starting to question this. I'm going to share with you another one of these. Sorry. But I know what it's like to not have hope. Because my, my wife and I were kind of in the same place. You see, when we started out, we were so far in a hole, we, we weren't inspired that we could actually get out of the hole. We had no hope. And I think some of you here today, you haven't made a decision because you don't think it would do any good to make a decision. You don't think you could do anything with it. Again, she grew up communist. I grew up poor. We got together. We had nothing. We never expected to have anything. So we even started out, we were one of those people who would say, you know what, I'll tell you why I'm in debt. You came from a good family. I had to pay for my own wedding. Because, you know, the, the groom is supposed to pay for the wedding. Except when you marry a poor, broke, communist family. I mean, I'm paying for the wedding. As a matter of fact, she's not in this service, so I can tell you this. I had to buy her. Y'all looking at me like that was, like, wrong. No, not like no order bride. But like the government says, we produced her to contribute to our society, communist government. If you want to take her out of our government, there's a fee. So I had to pay for my wife. <laughs> Thank you, Visa. I had to... I had, to, I had to pay for my, my wedding, and then I had to pay for our honeymoon. And, and I mean, we're just swiping the card like crazy. So we got to the point, we were doing a European tour on Visa. There you go, European, because we're in Europe, all right? So, so we're doing a European tour, and my wife actually looked over my shoulder at about the third hotel we were checking into, and she saw the bill, and she said, no way! Because the bill was actually 10 months, her annual or her 10 months of her salary. That's how little they got paid while she had no hope. And she picked up her bag and she left. I'm not kidding you. I'm standing in the lobby of the hotel checking in. They give me the room keys and my wife walks out the door. <laughs> Where are you going? Where do you think you're going to stay? We're on our honeymoon. This works better in the same building, preferably the same room. Anyway, enough of that. Another series, another day. By the end of our honeymoon, we were thousands, actually tens of thousands of dollars in debt and here was the reason because the beautiful state of South Carolina paid my way to school if I'd come back here and teach it's called a governor's teaching scholar what I did not know is if I decided to serve God and become a missionary is that that scholarship became a loan and the interest was retroactive to my senior year when I took out the scholarship anybody with me and, and so then we got married and moved to the States. We had to move to the States to try to get a job because nowhere in, a, in Romania are you ever going to pay back those kind of loans. So we come here and we have to, to get cars, to get to work, and all that sort of thing. And, and so early in our marriage, we were at a position that we were two and a half times our annual gross salary in debt, not counting a mortgage. You want to know why you don't make a decision? It's because you're hopeless, and I was there. I looked at my friend who's like, oh, come on, Jimmy, let me, let me, it's great to be out of debt like we are. Look, listen, buddy, I would have to live in your house, eat your groceries, you would have to put gas in my car, and the government would have to agree not to take any taxes for two and a half years just to get to ground level. Never mind. I'm just going to stay in debt and hope tomorrow gets better. I know where you are if you're not yet there to make a decision, but I want to encourage you. It's got to start somewhere, someday. And if you can make a decision, then the next part is actually pretty easy. It's make a plan. Just make a plan. Proverbs 21.5 says, Good planning and hard work lead to prosperity, but hasty shortcuts lead to poverty. Good planning and hard work. 
That, that means, yes, go to work and work hard. But <laughs> you know what some of the hardest work is to do? To tell yourself no. Good planning and hard work. Stick to the plan. That might be the hardest work you do. Because the hasty shortcut is, I don't want to stick to the plan. I don't want to say no. Swipe visa, quick hasty shortcut. Now you got what you wanted. If you don't have a plan, we're here to help you. We've got Dave Ramsey, Financial Peace University. We've got small groups with that. We've got certified counselors from Crown Financial. Uh, we, we can help you make a plan. So let's go to question number three. How many of you said you have a plan that you're working on? 67% said yes, and I'm just going to tell you that's awesome. I expected it to be the other way around. Two-thirds of us are working a plan. I hope by that you, you actually mean a real plan that's got an end date that you can see paying cash for a vacation you could never afford right now. I, I hope that you can see that coming. And, and I just want to speak right now to, you know, sometimes we have this, this difficulty of, of just believing that it could ever change. My wife and I finally did make a plan, and we made a decision. And for us, we had just reached a point we were so tired of being so broke. It wasn't because we had hope. It was because we were just so frustrated nothing was left. And True story. One day, on the way home from school, as a public school teacher, come on, y'all know what that salary is like? As a public school teacher, on my way home, I dropped by the bookstore and used my nearly maxed out visa to buy Dave Ramsey's book on how to get out of debt. But we made a plan. And I know some of you wished you were there 10 years ago. My wife and I wish we were there 10 years ago. But we finally made a plan, and we began to stick to it. And that's where we're headed. And so we have now gotten to the point we can say we have nothing but mortgages. And a few years ago, our, our family grew exponentially. We went from one kid to four, one dog to two, and uh, that size house didn't work very much, so, so we kept that as a rental and we moved into another house. And so I can tell you this, in less than nine years, we will own two houses completely debt-free. And, you know, you get that extra money. It might be eight years, it might be seven years. I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that to brag or anything. I'm telling you, uh, again, when we got married, two and a half times our annual salary, not counting a mortgage. And, and in less than a decade, here's what's going to happen for those of you that stick around Grace Life, all right? In about seven or eight years, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... I'm going to bet God's going to bless the process. Maybe even five or six. In about five or six years, y'all going to come to church and you're going to say, how long is the pastor going to stay in the Caribbean? Because <laughs> I'm going to be able to. Because at some point I got tired of everybody else being out of debt. We made a decision, we made a plan, and we began working there. And, and, and it's going to reach that point. See, here's what I want you to know. I just met this past week with someone who goes to our church. I'm not going to name them because they, they surprisingly are embarrassed a, a little bit by this. They shouldn't be. But they're in their mid-30s. And, and just a few years ago when they were in their late 20s, they sat and they listened to this message and they made a decision and they made a plan. And so within five years, they were debt-free. Early 30s, they owned their house. They had no car payments. They had no bills. They had no nothing. And so then they took all the money they were putting towards bills and they started putting it in the bank because they said, you know what, we're going to have more kids. The house is going to be too small. This is not the world's greatest house anyway, but they stayed in it. And just this week, they bought in their mid-30s, they bought their dream home. They, they're cash, debt-free. They can do whatever they want. Now, I know you'd like to have done that in your 30s. So would I. But I'm going to be in my early 50s when I'm in the Caribbean for longer than you think I should be. <laughs> so you just decide at what age you finally want to quit regretting and start changing.
and make a decision. I've preached this sentence before. I'm going to put it back on the screen because it's true. It will always be true, and it might help some of you. You'll always be broke today if you're borrowing from tomorrow and paying for yesterday. That will always be true. If you are borrowing from tomorrow and paying for yesterday, today will always be miserable. I want to encourage you. Don't let yesterday rob you of experiencing the goodness of God today. You see, what I want for you, let me tell you what I want for you. I want you to be able to ask two questions. Just like this couple I just talked about, they can ask two questions. My dream for you is to get to where you can ask two questions every time you get paid. Not three. Two. You see, because they don't owe the world a dime. They can come home with their paycheck and ask two questions. Honey, what does God want us to do with this? And second, what do you want to do with all that's left over? I mean, actually, God only asked for 10% and occasionally a little bit more. That's a lot. Where do you want to go this weekend? Italy? France? Think the kids would enjoy Disney next Wednesday? What do you want to do with all that's left? They don't have to ask question number three. How much do we owe? This is what I want for you. Two questions. I want you to get to a place in life, and I believe you can do it. Make a decision. Make a plan. You can get to where you only ask two questions. What does God want me to do with this? What do you want to do with all that's left? What do you want to do with all that's left? Wouldn't that be cool? Come on, somebody with me. Wouldn't that be cool? Make a decision. Make a plan. I want to close by talking to a, another group of you. Not financial at all, but debt still. It's a different kind of debt. The Bible tells us that everything we do in our lives, every thought, every decision, every attitude, every word we've ever uttered that wasn't perfectly holy, unfortunately, it was adding up as a debt. And it's a debt that has to get paid off before you can enter the presence of God. That's why many people will not be able to experience heaven is because they do not have the capacity to pay that debt. But you know what the Bible tells us? This is really cool. And it literally uses these words. I'm not making this up. It says, when Jesus was nailed to the cross, he canceled that record of debt. It means he snuck into the place where the debt was and he stamped paid in full and you can stand before the heavenly father with no debt. We're not talking finances, right? You guys with me? You can stand debt-free, hold your head high, and say, I don't have to pay anything to get in. That, that debt's been paid. And here's what every one of us has to do. You have to, you can't just know that that happened. That, that's not enough. Every one of us at some point has to go and get that receipt that's been stamped, paid in full. We have to go and, and take that receipt. And the way you do that is by at some point in your life, you look at Jesus and say, thank you for dying for me. I want to make you my king. I want to live for you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to do life your way. I want to exchange this life I've lived with me as king for one with you as king. And when we do that, we pick up that paid in full statement and it applies for the rest of our lives. The debt stops growing even though we keep messing up no better deal ever offered in history. But if you have never 
made that exchange with Jesus, if you have never gotten to a point where you've made a personal relationship with Jesus, I want to help you do that here this morning. I want to help you be able to stand before the Father debt-free, guilt-free. You don't have to stand up or come down front. Right where you're seated, would you all join me and pray? Say something like this to yourself and to God. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. And so now, I want to live for you. I thank you that you paid a debt in full, even future to come, that I could never pay. I thank you for your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness. And my simple prayer today is that you would give me a life of great meaning and great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast. For more information about us, you can go to gracelife.me. That's gracelife.me. You can also follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash gracelifeme and on Twitter at gracelifechurch.com.